Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And welcome back to the third hour of our program. Uh, Jennifer Crumbly, the mother of the shooter in Michigan, has apparently joined the ranks of women in the United States. This is not being a woman. It's something I don't completely understand. I mean, I understand the theories about it. But joined the rank of these so-called MAGA moms, followers of Donald Trump's maggot movement, that are trying to follow the instructions of Madison Cawthorn. Madison Cawthorn, of course, is the preppy, I think it's South Carolina, maybe North Carolina. He's from one of the Carolinas, a member of the House of Representatives whose claim to fame is that he says outrageous things. You know, he, he likes to pretend like he's a tough guy. Like people think he's been in the military because he's in a wheelchair. It was because his Beamer or whatever, his car got in a car accident. Um, but he, he gave this speech recently where he said that the maggot mothers need to be raising their sons as monsters. That was his phrase, raise them as monsters. And in fact, he, he, uh, he said that the mothers, he said, are the most vicious in our movement. Now, I get it. He's, he's trying to be Sarah Palin here, right? Uh, mama bears, you know, the, the mama grizzlies actually was the, you know, we, we will defend our young sort of thing. But what he's encouraging is not defending their young. He's encouraging them to turn their young into psychopaths, to encourage their young to be antisocial, to encourage their young to be, you know, Trump-like or crumbly-like. You know, back in 2016, Jennifer Crumbly, the, the mother of the shooter in Michigan, the Oxford shooter, wrote this long letter that she posted on social media telling Donald Trump how much she loved him and how wonderful he was and how she, was, uh, she wouldn't have any problem if he wanted to grab her by her private parts. And when her son got busted in school or the teachers noticed him, you know, shopping for ammunition on his smartphone during class, found these drawings of people being killed in the school. His mother texted him, LOL, I'm not mad at you. You must learn not to get caught. This is the sort of thing that I would argue 
And I think many would argue that Madison Cawthorn and Josh Hawley and some of these other people, Josh Hawley, again, just knocking women out of the draft because they're just too fragile. And, you know, men are supposed to be the manly ones here. In fact, Hawley is talking about Cawthorn also. This is from Cawthorn's speech. He said, our culture today is trying to completely demasculate all the young men. What does he mean by that? Well, in maggot world, it probably means send them to college, have them get decent jobs, have them marry women who they respect, raise children who they love. These are all not masculine things in maggot world. Another example, Kyle Rittenhouse and his mother, Wendy Rittenhouse. She was every step of the way, as uh, Amanda Marcotte writes in this brilliant piece uh, over on Alternate, MAGA Moms Meet Madison Cawthorn's Challenge, Why, why Right-Wing Women Raise Their Sons as Monsters. She notes, every step of the way, she was a proud MAGA mom treating her son who shot three people, killing two at a Black Lives Matter protest, like he's a hero and blaming his victims for their deaths. A lot of people shouldn't have been there, she raved to NBC News during her son's trial. He brought that gun for protection. Right. And in January, he was spotted in a bar partying with his mother and a group of white supremacists, flashing white power symbols with his mom in a bar with a bunch of right-wing white supremacists. Or Lauren Boebert, you know, from Colorado, the, the, the representative from, uh, you know, who's got the shooter's grill and, and it just like, you know, is a gun fetishist. Amanda notes, Boebert released a video showing her eight-year-old son singing, dancing, and playing with cigarette lighters while left alone in a room a few feet away from a high-capacity rifle. She notes, in August of this year, there were 259 unintentional shootings by children just in 2021. Again, we have about 40 or 50 police officers a year who die by being shot. You had 259 children who were shot unintentionally so far this year. But we can't do anything about that because that would demasculinize our boys and men. Because don't you know, those guns are just penis extensions. I mean, is it time to start the small penis gun club again? Amanda wraps up her piece saying, women can't be equal, so their only way to taste power is through men, especially their sons. That's what Cawthorn's speech was about, she writes, instructing women to sublimate their vicious urges, Cawthorn's phrase, by raising boys who are themselves vicious monsters, Cawthorn's phrase. And all too many are already heeding the call. This is a, just an extraordinary thing. And, and like I said, I don't completely understand this. What, what kind of a person, what kind of a mother would want to raise her son to be a monster? What kind of voter would vote for a politician like Madison Cawthorn, who gives a speech telling mothers to raise their children, to raise their sons specifically, as monsters. What kind of voter would vote for Josh Hawley, who sees women as, as fragile set pieces to be on the shelf, or as, as uh, you know, helpmates who should be in the kitchen, but not as fully equal human beings? Well, apparently a Republican. 
This is the doxology, the ideology of the GOP. And we're seeing in the abortion battles this reflected. Oh, these women, they're, they're just not smart enough or capable enough or moral enough to make their own decisions about ending a pregnancy. That needs to be left up to the men who run the state, don't you know? So where does this come from? And why does it appeal to these Republicans? I'm genuinely baffled. I think there's probably a piece of this, some dimension of it. Amanda is basically, Amanda Marcotte, who, who wrote this piece over at Alternate, is essentially arguing that these women are living vicariously through their sons. Maybe? Is it when the powerless assert their power and sometimes, even very often, look back on your own life, the times that you've been really filled with anger or rage, usually that comes out of a feeling of powerlessness. You know, trying to deal with some bureaucrat or some giant corporation that puts you on hold for 45 minutes and you just feel powerless and you get really pissed off. So is this an, an attempt among people in a society that has basically disempowered American voters. You know, sorry voters, you know, this is what the Supreme Court said. Sorry voters, what you have to say, what you want, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter anymore. Because our politicians can be bought. And the Supreme Court legalized that in 2010. Five conservatives on the U.S. Supreme Court said, it's a good thing to have super PACs and PACs and political bribery and, and to say that money is the same thing as speech and that Corporations are the same thing as people. And as a consequence, all across America, voters feel like nobody's listening to me. Nobody cares what I have to say. And so they're migrating to guns to give them a sense of power. They're raising their children to be monsters to give them a sense of power. Is that it? I, I just, I'm baffled. I toss it out to you. What do you think? Why is this happening? Where is this coming from? Is this new or is this the most ancient thing ever? This idea that, that women need to raise their sons to be monsters. I mean, maybe in another era it was raise them to be warriors. Maybe we're just going back to the Viking. This is the Tom Hartman Program. But it seems not to fit in with our age or our era particularly when, you know, you've got over 100,000 dead kids now from guns. Tom Harmon here with you and Vicki in Chicago. Hey, Vicki, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, you're really getting us worked up out here, I'm sure. <laughs> this thing with the monster kids, mm -hmm. I'm not a fan of that language, but I'll have to find the article you mentioned um, I think it's absolutely a very old thing, and it's an intersection of patriarchy with white supremacy or white privilege and how that plays out politically. And, you know... Explain. It, it is, pardon? Please explain that. Because, it, like you mentioned, what was stated in that article is the women, you know, the only power they can access is through the male, uh, you know, person. Right, in and their lives. You know, it leads to a lot of this, you know, the old thing with, the, uh, you know, southern white gentlewoman 
uh, who's too meek and mild, but then acts out extremely vicious uh, things through, you know, she's through her husband or her brother or her father, or whoever, or the sheriff as a proxy for their own internal uh, violence. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, to me, it's very much a subset of the patriarchal system, though, where just women are denied power. And, um, you know, it just plays out in an extremely ugly way. Do you think, Vicki, if we had a, a truly egalitarian society where women had absolutely equal power with men and you saw as many women in, in CEO positions and uh, in combat positions as you see men right now, in other words, if we, uh, which is pretty much the case in Israel, for example, uh, at least in the military, not, not so much in business. But, um, but if we saw that kind of equality in the United States, that, that we wouldn't then see women being encouraged by politicians to raise their boys as monsters, or we wouldn't see women wanting to do what Kyle Rittenhouse's mother did, Wendy Rittenhouse did, and, and what you know, the, uh, some of these other mothers have done? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think, and we have seen it in history when we look at historical examples of other societies and some of modern ones where women have more equality. Um, you know, and we've got to deal with this. That's the, the bottom line, though. And the the whole thing with the abortion decision is just mind-boggling. Um, you know where that's going to lead. But we've been warning about that for forty years. Yeah, it's the patriarchy for its Republican win at any cost mentality. This is where it leads. Yeah. And, and the women in that system of in that political party, by personal observation, are very much part of this kind of mindset. Yeah, of, uh, you know, the, the male is supreme and, you know, no offense to guys. I like guys and all that. But, you know, it, it's it's this obsequious and there's a lot of falsity and deception that goes into the whole dynamic. Yep. Yep. I get it. Yeah. Vicki, thank you. Thank you. That was a, a brilliant and, and clear explanation. Thank you so much. Dave in Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, Dave, is Madison, Madison Cawthorn representing South Carolina, if I remember right? Is- no, he represents uh, um, Asheville, Asheville, North Carolina. North Carolina. Oh, okay. All right. My yeah, apologies. He's Dave. in the Western. He's up by where Meadows used to be. Oh, okay. But um, I have a lot of in-laws. My wife's from Asheville, and you know, I talk to my in-laws a lot about, you know, politics and very civilly. And I was, I was, I asked them, you know, did you vote for this guy? And they don't even know who they voted for. Mm. You are, you are asking why would somebody vote for this guy? They don't even know. Most of the people up there outside of Asheville, they just pull an R, you know? Yeah. They, they just, it's just like pull an R. They don't know who's representing them. I mean, and, and I asked them, you know, you, you know, Cawthorn, what did he, what has he done in his life? You know? He worked at Chick Fil A. He he he. he uh, you know, he got in a in a wreck uh, in in Florida on spring break with his friend. What do you think they were doing? You know, on spring break. Right. You know. Um, you, you know, he he worked with Mark Meadows a little bit, um, but he's he's basically accomplished nothing. And and then he he runs for Congress, and they don't even know who he is. He ran against a guy who was a retired colonel. Who, wow. who was a, who was in a judge advocate general, and I said, "Do you know who? Who did you? Do you know who you voted for? Do you know what this guy represents?" They don't know. Yeah. They, they don't know, man. You know, and it's, it's a shame it's like that tribalism. they don't do any research whatsoever to find out what the heck this guy represents and what he's done in his life to 
warrant being a congressman. Yeah. It, it's sad, man. It really is. Yeah, I get I, it. I, mean, I totally it, get it's it. It's insane, man. It, it really is. And and I and I just think the Democrats should bring this stuff out, you know, and, and start playing hardball on, on these fake patriots like this, you know. I'm with you. I'm absolutely with you. Dave, thank you. Very, very, very well said. Thanks for the information. James in Seattle. Hey, James, thanks for listening to KBCS. What's up? Mark Twain had his in his book, Huck Finn, that his drunk gambling father was trying to talk to him and tell him not to get any more book learning in his head. He just wanted him to learn to read, write, and do arithmetic. Mm-hmm. And that's the simplistic conservative mindset. They're really kind of lazy. They don't want to make decisions or think. That's work. And that mindset, you can draw a straight line from that thinking, which is separatism, to Nazi cosmology, to QAnon. You could just make a straight line to it. And it means that since they don't want to make a lot of decisions, they're looking for somebody who's smart enough or charismatic enough to take care of that decision, that kind of thinking for them. So, Do you think it's that they're lazy or do you think that it's that they feel that deep down inside that they're just not that smart or they're not that good or they're not that worthy and therefore they should, you know, hand the decisions of their lives over to another person? Well, when when things are separate and they're not united like our consciousness of liberals, art and scientists are concerned, then uh, there is no real relationships. Mm -hmm. Everything is really fake. And they run through the world thinking that uh, that everything is a world a worldwide wrestling event where everything is choreographed and it's fake. They have their hand signals and their dog whistles to tell them when to act. Yeah. And they like it when change happens when someone comes in. And, you know, and Flynn said, you know, he's doing the, the Hitler thing where he wants them to all become one church with one God, but it's, it's Trump's church with that right. Hitler. Yeah, no, and Hitler and, had his own church. He, he appointed uh, Bishop Moeller, was his name, as the uh, head of the official Nazi church that replaced the Catholic and Protestant uh, factions in Germany at the time. It's amazing stuff. James, thank you for that. Eric in Erie, Pennsylvania. Hey, Eric, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom, listen, I am absolutely for um, a national service uh, program. Mm -hmm. And um, there's been, you know, most of the callers are focusing on guns and wars and, uh, you know, physical strength and daring. Uh, Service is so, so much more than that. Mm -hmm. And if we look at the way our National Guard and other parts of the military are, like the Corps of Engineers and others, are involved in, you know, building and rebuilding and modernizing when there's been a natural disaster. And But the, the biggest thing is uh, finding more places where Americans can be put together uh, with a common cause where othering is not part of that. Your, you know, your background otherwise, religiously, economically and whatnot, politically, party stuff, bunch of people in a chain of command with a common goal. And, you know, people come out of that with a different set of attitudes going forward. Yeah, I think you're absolutely so, right. I think it'd be great. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, throwing people in with, with other people that they otherwise wouldn't encounter. And then they discover, hey, these people who look different than me or think different than me or talk different than me or, or identify different, they're all humans, too. They're, we're all just people here together. Eric, brilliant. Thank you.
Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Glenn in Silva, North Carolina. That is Madison Cawthorn country. Hey, Len, what's up? Oh, yeah, it's Madison Cawthorn country. If he was uh, had uh, an IQ four points higher, he'd be a rock. Um, <laughs> oh. Okay. Let me just give you a little bit of background on this uh, congressional district, the 11th congressional district of North Carolina. Madison Cawthorn, and then you go back before Madison Cawthorn, you get Mark Meadows. Uh-huh. You go back before Mark Meadows, and you get Roy Taylor Jr., the first Republican. You go back before that, and you get Roy Taylor Sr., who was a liberal Democrat. And he's the guy that I wrote to to help stop the bombing in Cambodia. But the biggest problem up here is so many people, when they go to the the polls, because I've sat at the polls. Mm-hmm. Uh, and been a poll watcher, but they they sit there and they they don't pay any attention to who they're voting down ballot at all. Right. They just they're vote just straight, voting straight party tickets. Straight party ticket, and it, you know it's unfortunate. And that's like the guy from South Carolina who told you that they don't know who they're voting for. Well, a lot of us do, mm-hmm. but uh, there's not enough of us out here who who uh, who think about who they're voting for i i uh sometimes i don't know who who somebody is for some of the really small uh local offices but for the most part i know who's who i'm voting for for the house and the senate and stuff like that right right yeah i get it and so yeah. so and len you, way, you, you think am, that madison cawthorn is there not because people love him but because they're just voting republican and right, he's, and he's, the he's guy also who won the talking about he's also talking about moving to 
the Charlotte area. Mm -hmm. Does that mean he's talking about running there? So changing congressional is that because of redistricting or is that? Uh, No, that I don't think so. I and the thing the thing that I think about that is he might be uh, pretty sad about moving over over there because I don't think they'll vote for him. Yeah. Well, we'll see how it all shakes out. Len, thanks yeah. a lot for the for the perspective and, and, and the and the voice to North Carolina. I appreciate it. Dion in Crystalhurst, New York, New Jersey. Am I saying that right? No, I moved from Chiselhurst. I'm down in Monroe, Louisiana now. Oh my, okay, I'll fix your uh, apparently your phone number is probably two years. Okay, so what's up? I wanted to give a counterpoint to the guy who was talking about attacking their religion. Uh, No, we don't want to attack their religion. What we want to do is we want to talk about the things we have in common. Money and politics. Uh, Is hurting everyone. Yeah, these are the things that are hurting everyone. Talk about them. Those are the things. And ask them. The main key point is to ask them questions. What would you do about it? Right. Right. Now, how would you fix this? I can how tell you, you I, I can tell you, Dion, that I have talked with on the air. I've talked with some of these conservatives mm-hmm. and I'll say, you know, do you really think that billionaires should be able to buy our elections? And they'll go so far as to say that they don't think the people who are not unemployed, they, they think that only basically wealthy people should even be allowed to vote, much less. Yes, I, you know. I, I watch your show almost every day. You know, um, I volunteer for the team by T Army, and we see it all the time. Yeah. You know, and that's one of the that's, these are the common things that we have that, you know, billing, uh, medical billing, and how convoluted it is, how stressful it is to sick people. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it makes their health even worse. The fact that we have zero health care, mental health care in this country. You know, and another thing about, uh, I was just listening to you about the ivermectin, mm-hmm. about the uh, patients in the hospital attacking doctors and nurses. Uh, Alvarez, U.S. versus Alvarez is a Supreme Court case where uh, the Supreme Court decided that lying is covered under the First Amendment. Right. Why can't they lie to them, give them some kind of food paste in an ivermectin box? Because they're doctors. They, you don't, you don't, uh, you know, you don't, you don't do that. You don't lie to patients. Uh, unless, unless you've got a psychiatrist signing off on it. I'm sorry. You know, but why do we have perjury laws then? You know. Well, it's it's a, it's kind of a different thing, but uh, you know, I, I my heart just goes out to these these healthcare professionals. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they are they are facing such terrible burnout. Um, you know, uh, my cousin is a doctor. She uh, graduated from Harvard Medical about uh, 11 years ago, and she's having a hell of a time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two of my oh, kids, uh, same thing. I, it's just uh, it, it, what what is, it, you know. Fortunately, here in Portland, there's there's less of it, but we're we're getting now the overflow from the red counties around us, where people yeah. are dying from COVID. It, you know, it's not happening so much in in Multnomah County and in, in Portland itself. Uh, we have a we have like an over ninety percent vaccination rate in Portland. But we've got counties here in, in Oregon with below 30% vaccination rates, and people are and dropping like MAGA flies. Counties. They're all MAGA counties. Same oh, yeah. here in Louisiana. In Louisiana, I, I don't go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I moved here because I couldn't afford to live in New Jersey after my husband passed away. So, uh, 
so it's the cost of living. But uh, you know, yeah. But you have to deal with the with the maggots. It's got to be tough. Yeah, my social security check goes a lot Yeah, Dion, nice to hear from you again. Thank you for the call. Good talking with you. We'll be back. It's 22 minutes past the hour here on the Tom Harbin program. Back with more of your calls in just a moment. Uh, we will just have a conversation here for the rest of the hour about why why are these people killing their own viewers? Why are these politicians killing their own voters? I am still trying to figure this out. Ed in San Antonio, Texas. Hey, Ed, what's on your mind today? Merrick Garland, he um, was an appellate court judge, which is a lifetime appointment. He resigned that to take a term limit job, which is only four years, basically. You're talking now, uh, attorney general. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can think of three reasons he'd do it. One, he's very zealous and wants to protect the Constitution, and he's going to get in there and fight over what happened on September, uh, January 6th. Two, he wants to be a Supreme Court justice, play it cool, get no opposition. Or three, he can fall back on a big law firm if he doesn't get the first well, two. Well, I would, I would say, A, as an appellate court judge, he could have fallen back on a big law firm. B, being attorney yeah. general, which is a fairly controversial and political position, actually diminishes uh, in many regards his his uh, uh, the probability well, that he could be confirmed to the Supreme Court. And well, I, I mean, it, let me give you a, a four, you know, a, a, B, C, D. Let me give you a fourth option. And that is that the guy is old enough and well off enough that he just figured this is a great way to end his career in the law. What I wanted to talk about is the reason why of what he's doing has he performed as a zealous prosecutor? No, he has not. The only thing that he's tried so far are the people, which I would call foot soldiers, which are lay-down cases because they're all on film. None of them involve seditious conspiracy. Are you, are you a, are an attorney or a, or a former prosecutor, Ed? I was a former prosecutor for 30 years in Texas. Okay. a felony prosecutor, trial attorney. Mm -hmm. And so what, it doesn't impress me at all that that's a, a logistics problem. That is not a problem of law. Mm -hmm. They're all laid down cases. But Ed, if What's you're going to go problem? after the big, uh, it sounds like what you're saying is he's not going after the big fish, but if you're going to go after Absolutely. the big fish for seditious conspiracy, you have to get all of the fish involved in the conspiracy before you bring the charges. No, you don't. No, no, you don't have to get all. In fact, conspiracy is two or more people right. designed to uh, uh, do, agree among themselves to commit an offense. He does have a grand right. jury that is looking into seditious conspiracy. I know that. Is, okay. is, is that not a good sign? Well, it depends. You can have a seditious conspiracy on the people that are the proud boys. You can do a, uh, just isolate that and call it a Mm -hmm. a seditious conspiracy. But the real thing is, if you look at the offense, you look at who benefits from the offense. The offense is stop the 
steal, which means to prevent the counting of the votes. Delay, stop a governmental function. Who benefits from that? Do the people that try to do it forcefully benefit? Who benefits? Donald Trump. Trump. Yeah. Yeah, he, he gets go. four more years to stay stay out of jail and and uh, you know avoid uh, right. investigations and prosecution. And when you look at conspiracy charges, you also can take in the uh, fact of who benefits from the object of the conspirator. Right. Conspiracy. Here's, here's and further. Not all people have to know each other as long as they have agreed with one another two people agree with this person that person agrees with another person all to do the same thing then they're all guilty of an overt act committed by any one person i I, you know i get that so so what do you think is the possibility or or what do you think of this scenario You've got the January 6th committee. They've gotten testimony from over 250 witnesses, tens of thousands of pages of documents. Liz Cheney says they're going to be holding public hearings after the first of the year and laying all this stuff out for the American public. Well, they're also going to be laying it out for the Department of Justice. Is it not possible? I know it's happened in the past that Congress, congressional investigations have have been handed off to the DOJ that then you know pulls out a grand jury and goes to town against somebody. Uh, we certainly saw that with the mob in the 60s. Uh, you know, some some posit that that was why they why the mob killed Kennedy. I mean, is that not possible too? Yes, but that's my point. That's my point. Congress shouldn't be he doing the be DOJ's doing work. All the stuff. Yes, the the committee, the sixth committee, and the Washington Post are doing his work. Yeah, they do not have subpoena power to bring him into a court. Yeah. And make deals. Yeah, I get it. I Only get it. he has that. Yeah. And it takes a long time to do it, but you get the small fish and you move up to the top. That's the way you handle criminal uh, criminal enterprises. Ed, I, I am I am no more enthusiastic about him than you, but I'm hopeful. I'm still hopeful. Ed, thanks for the call. Listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. My sense of it is that there is a, a, a momentum here that Trump is not going to be able to stop. I mean, time will tell, but that's my sense of it. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. 
head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. So I just wanted to, to flag a really thought-provoking piece that I saw over on Democratic Underground this morning. Uh, it's by a, uh, a, a person posting there under the name of Max Rand B, M-A-X-R-A-N-D-B. And it's titled, I'm an American veteran, my fellow Americans, you need to get out of rural areas. Now, when I first read that, I thought he said, I thought it wrote, it, it, it said, you need to get out to rural areas, because that's the message that we're always hearing. Oh, Democrats need to reach out to people in red states, and red states are largely rural, and even in, even in states that vote blue, you know, like here in Oregon, we've got, you know, three cities of consequence in this, in this state. There's Portland, which is, you know, around a million people. There's Eugene, which is the university town. I don't know the population, but, you know, it's substantial. It's not, it's not a million people, but it's substantial. And then there's Salem, which is the state capital, another, you know, urban area. We've got three cities. And the counties surrounding those three cities reliably vote blue, and that's the majority of the population of the state. And then we've got all these red counties all across Oregon that vote Trump, Trump, Trump all the time. And they're the ones, by the way, that are filling up the hospitals in the three blue cities. But that's another rant. So anyhow, there's, there's this constant drumbeat, this message, you know, uh, the, the, the person writing this uh, thing over at, um, at uh, Democratic Underground says, call me when Chuck Todd talks, shows up to talk to voters in Pittsburgh instead of friggin' Beaver County, Pennsylvania. Exactly. I mean, the media is constantly, we're constantly seeing these messages. Oh, Democrats, you need to consider the poor, uh, worried, fragile emotions of rural voters. Democrats need to reach out to the red, to the rural areas. Really? Max Rand B says, I, I would not be so pissed about this if just once since the creation of this country, anyone had suggested that rural America needs to talk to urban America. Just once. He says, maybe rural America should visit some inner city schools with their dilapidated buildings, broken desks, faulty electrical systems, broken plumbing and windows. Maybe rural America could, should come over and share a few pitchers of water with a, with a Flint, Michigan family. And he goes on to talk about visiting poverty-stricken areas in cities that are poverty-stricken because of 400 years of banks, banksters and real estate agents redlining cities and saying, oh, is this the only place you can live? He, he writes, maybe rural America can visit an area of 20,000 people that doesn't have access to fresh produce and groceries within 10 miles, our food deserts. He said, maybe the problem isn't that Democrats aren't reaching out to rural America. Maybe the problem is that rural America doesn't give one beep about anything but rural America. He asked the question, why is this always a one-way street? 
Why is America expected to understand and empathize with rural America, he writes, but that expectation is never reversed. Keep in mind, 65% of America lives in cities. The vast majority of Americans live in our cities and the suburbs around them. And yet, because of the way that the Senate is set up and because of the way the Electoral College is set up, rural voters who represent a small fraction of, of the American population basically you know, control the, the agenda in Washington, D.C. And on, in state after state after state and will have the ability in all probability in 2024 to even flip a presidential election. Is it time for Democrats to say, okay, we're tired. We're, we're no longer reaching out to you guys. You can come visit us. You come to our cities for entertainment. You come to our cities for, for a vacation. You come to our cities to see Broadway plays and movies and things. You come to our cities for nice restaurants. You come to our cities to go shopping. Consider our needs for once, Republicans. Because the Republican base has, you know, the Republican uh, political, the, the, uh, the Republican politicians have pretty much decided that people in cities don't count. They don't matter. And that's, that's without even beginning to talk about, you know, the racial dimension of all of this, which is, I think, fairly obvious. Should Democrats reach out to Republicans in red states? Should Republicans reach out to Democrats? How do we put this country back together? Absolute liars is the headline over on Politico. Uh, this is an absolutely breathtaking story. Uh, you will recall back months and months ago uh, when I laid out how, well, when it became public, the, the memo that Christopher Miller wrote as the acting uh, Secretary of Defense, in which he was saying to the D.C. National Guard, you may not assist the Capitol Police unless you hear specifically and directly from me. And then that permission was withheld until, you know, for several hours, until it was clear that Mike Pence had not been hung and that the ballots were secure. And at that point, these people inside the Trump administration said, okay, cool, go ahead. And one of them was Mike Flynn's brother. And now a former DC National Guard official is blowing the whistle on this thing. And why there is not a congressional, well, maybe there is, and it's just something we're not, we don't know about, but uh, this is Colonel, Colonel Earl Matthews, who uh, was on the National Security Council, he worked at the Pentagon during the Trump administration. And he's calling out two Army generals, specifically Charles Flynn, Mike Flynn's brother, who was the uh, Deputy Chief of Staff for Operations on January 6th, and Lieutenant General Walter P-I-A-T-T, Piat, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, Piat, uh, the Director of the Army Staff. And these guys were on this phone call where they said, no, you can't send the National Guard into D.C., and according to, to General Matthews, Colonel Matthews, excuse me, according to Colonel Matthews, these guys, he was on the phone call with these guys. And he says, they said, oh, you can't send the, uh, you can't send the uh, National Guard in because having people, having soldiers come into the Capitol would look like we were a tin horn dictatorship. You can't have that happen. So just let the mob ransack the Capitol. This is what Mike Flynn's brother was saying. But then when he went before Congress, or at least uh, Piat went before Congress and testified, 
he said, oh, no, 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 that's, that's not what we were saying. We, we, you know, there was just miscommunication and, and uh, you know, bumbling around. And uh, it was, a, you know, they, they really had no answer. But this is, he calls them absolute and unmitigated liars. His phrase, not mine. Colonel Matthews said, every, this is the memo that he wrote about these two generals, who are, by the way, still two generals. In fact, uh, General Flynn is now in charge of uh, the Pacific Army Fleet. I mean, he got a promotion out of this. He said, and I quote, every leader in the D.C. Guard wanted to respond and knew they could respond to the riot at the seat of government. He said, instead, they sat stunned watching in the armory during the attack. They were just, you know, just blocks away or just miles away, and they had to sit in the armory and watch this attack on television because Chris Miller, the Secretary, you know, the Secretary of Defense, and, uh, and, and Mike Flynn's brother, who was in charge of the army, said, no, you can't do it. The piece is in Politico. It's titled Absolute Liars, Politico.com. They note, uh, Matthews's memo levels major, several major accusations that Flynn and Piat lied to Congress about their response, that the Army has created its own closely held revisionist document about the Capitol riot that's, quote, worth, this is from his memo, that is worthy of the best Stalinist or North Korean propagandist. It's amazing. Politico reached out to both Flynn and Piat, and neither one of them responded. The, the head of the, of the Capitol Police at the time, Stephen Sund, pleaded on this phone call for the National Guard to come to the Capitol. Matthews recalled. He was on the call again. Colonel Matthews was on the call. And the head of the, of the Capitol Police was begging Mike Flynn's brother to send the National Guard. And was begging Piat, the director of the Army staff, one of the top generals in the Pentagon, and Flynn was the Army's director of operations. These two men were the highest ranking Army officials on this call at 2.30 in the afternoon of January 6th. Matthews wrote, uh, Lieutenant General Piat stated that it would not be his best military advice to recommend to the Secretary of the Army and the D.C. National Guard be, to, be allowed to deploy to the Capitol at this time. Both Flynn and Piat stated that the optics of having uniformed military personnel deployed to the U.S. Capitol would not be good. They both told Congress that that was not the case. And according to this colonel, they lied. Piat and Flynn at 2.37 p.m. recommended for the D.C. Guard to stand by rather than deploying. Four minutes later, according to that Guard timeline, Flynn again, I'm quoting from the, the Politico piece, quote, advised D.C. National Guard to stand by until the rest request had been routed to then Army Secretary Ryan McCarthy and then Acting Defense Secretary Chris Miller, the guy who wrote the memo saying you may not help the Capitol Police. You'll recall that. I've read it on the air at least a dozen times. Matthews writes, everyone on the call, except for Piat and Flynn, who were saying, no, we won't send soldiers, everyone on the call was, quote, astounded. Uh, now, Flynn said, quote, I never expressed a concern about the visuals, image, or public perception of sending guardsmen to the Capitol. This is what he told a member of Congress when he was asked. Mem Matthews in this memo says that is outright perjury in front of Congress. He was under oath. 
Matthew says the, that assertion constitutes, quote, uh, the willful deception of Congress. I mean, it doesn't get worse than this. This is mind-boggling. The Pentagon lied and people died. You can, you can read about it over at uh, politico.com. It's just incredible. Nola in Inglewood. Hey, Nola, what's on your mind today? Uh, two things real quick, and I'll take my answer off the air. First, a third caller earlier, a little while ago, explained that the reason why the GOP are doing what they do, because since they're rigging the elections, they no longer figure that their vote, vote their beta votes, voter base is important. Uh, pleasing their donor base is the most important thing. Secondly, my favorite YouTuber, Mama Baby Dr. Joan, successfully got her medical degree and will now be leaving the United States to New Zealand. And probably one of the reasons why she's making the move, because she spent a good amount of time in Texas. Now, in the history of the rise and fall of the Third Reich, before when fascism is taking hold, a country sees a brain drain of its professional class. You're right. So it happened in Germany from 33 to 36. I, I don't know the answer to the, to the question. I don't, I don't know if there's a large number of uh, professionals who are leaving this country. My guess is that that's not the case because other countries are, uh, other democratic countries are making it increasingly difficult for Americans to go there. And what we need to do is we need to strengthen democracy in America. We need to be fighting for this country. The Democratic Party needs to, to proclaim itself the party of freedom. I think it's like this is what the Democratic Party needs to do. They need to, they need to roll out the freedom agenda and start putting everything they do in the context of freedom because freedom sells in the United States. And, uh, you know, anyhow, Andy in Hoosick Falls, New York. Hey, Andy, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Um, you know, I, I consider this issue kind of a, a, a problem with healthy competition, and I also see it as a war of attrition. Which issue? Well, the, the, um, the, the Republican Party killing their own people. Okay. And the thing is, is that what we're, what we're witnessing here is the, the same mind that controls the Republican Party is the same mind uh, that controlled the trenches in the First World War. You know, we'll send 100,000 people to die because we think that 110,000 on the other side will die. So the numbers are immaterial to them. But, but it's not working out that well, way. I mean, the, the, no, the, well, the bluest the thing, counties though. are having one-sixth the death rate of the reddest counties. Right, right. So, so this is the other issue, the lack of healthy competition. In, in, a, in a healthy democracy, we have competition. Voting is competition. And what we're not experiencing is healthy competition in our democracy anymore. And, and I, I have heard your other viewers mention this, gerrymandering and voter suppression. Because and no logical, right? No logical, right-minded person would advance a policy of killing their own people if they knew there was a competition. Right. So, if 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 the Republicans believed in true competition, which they don't, right? They would open up the districts so that the Marjorie Taylor Greens out there would have that healthy competition. Right. But they know. They absolutely know that they're going to get voted back in an office, and they know that the amount of people that are dying is still less than the amount of people that they're suppressing. Yeah. By the it's way, uh, to, your, to your point, Andy, the, Joe Biden just did a press conference and announced, among other things, that uh, the Biden administration is suing the state of Texas 
because uh, the population of Texas over the last decade expanded enough that they got uh, either one or two new congressional seats. Um, but the, they gerrymandered the state so heavily, all, virtually all of that population expansion was among the Hispanic population, and they gerrymandered, gerrymandered the state so heavily that uh, there's actually a decline in Hispanic representation. And so they're, right. they're so, using the Voting Rights Act's uh, racial uh, you know, slice and dice as the basis for their lawsuit. It'll be interesting. That is, that's going to go to the Supreme Court, I guarantee you. Yeah, and, and here's our talking point, our Democratic talking point. It's healthy competition. You, yes. We believe in competition. Yes. And so we're promoting competition. Yes. We're not promoting you. socialism. We're promoting competition. I'm with you. I, I, th I think that's a very, very good point. Thank you very much for the call, uh, Andy. I appreciate it. Gar in Decatur, Georgia. Hey, Gar, what's on your mind today? Oh, a lot on my mind, Tom. Uh, you have, you're hitting uh, very important subjects, but I like to talk about guns. And yeah. the thing that we don't talk enough about is that the number one use of guns when they kill is suicide. Mm -hmm. And almost two-thirds of all gun deaths is suicide. You're right. And 97% of all gun deaths is a friend, a family member, or yourself. We don't talk about that. And, and another thing we don't talk about, you know, with this all this bickering going on, you know, the most Americans killed in one day was during the Civil War. There's some reports over 25,000 Americans killed in one day in one battle of Shiloh and Antietam. They say over, some reports I've read was 24,000 Americans killed in 12 hours. Wow. So when we barking up these uh, we barking up these uh, we don't like each other trees. We talk about civil wars and all that. Civil wars are the nastiest wars of all wars. That's that right. was the most Americans killed it. We we fought. We didn't had seventy five wars or conflicts since the, the birth of the United States. And the bloodiest, the nastiest, the ugliest was our civil war. And we don't talk enough about that. Yeah. We talk about Tulsa. We talk about Rosewood, but we never talk about the most Americans killed in one day was during the Civil War. And Civil War, I mean, it, it, it was nasty. Nine one one couldn't compare to that. Yeah, Civil Wars are particularly vicious because people know the territory, they know the neighborhood, they know their neighbors, they know each other, and they use that knowledge to kill each other. I, I mean, it's just it, right. it's and unlike it, a, an invading body, army. And the only thing about it, they only have muskets, yeah. bayonets. Today we got AK-47, we got AR-15. You know what a civil war would look like in the United States today? You're talking about a million people getting killed in one day. So we need to get, learn to get along. I, I'm with you, Gar. I'm with you. Thank, Thank you very much. Yeah, very well said. Johan in uh, Los Angeles. Hey, Johan, what's up? I think I have an answer that you uh, asked earlier this hour. Why are yeah. women raising, why, why are Republicans encouraging mothers to raise their sons as monsters, was my question. Do you have an answer for it? I think, but uh, I think this came from the identity of Republicanism mm -hmm. by uh, Matthew Fry Jacobson. I'm sure you remember him. I don't. Um, Who was he? He said, the founders assumed only white men had these qualities and characteristics and that white women and people of color were not fit for self-government. Part of the American Revolution, Section uh -huh. 2, White Supremacy and the Revolutionary Period. Uh -huh. And then he also had a naturalization law of 1790. 
So, I mean, he the the Republican the modern Republican Party wasn't created until 1856, if I, my recollection is correct, in Jackson, Michigan, and um, so this would have been he wouldn't have been the founder of the Republican Party. What, are you suggesting that he was kind of the proto uh, Republican? He was the guy that they modeled things after. I don't I don't get the association with with this uh, Mr. Fry. Yeah, he uh, kind of identified the uh, Republicanism. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, the word Republicanism was used a lot back then. The, the original name of, the, of what we call the Democratic Party today, the name that Jefferson gave it when he created it just before the election of 1800 was the Democratic Republican Party. And they refer, and the Constitution refers to a Republican form of government, Article 4. And, and uh, you know, the, the founders and framers, they generally didn't refer to democracy. They generally referred to Republican forms of government and Republicanism. But they weren't talking about what we call the Republican Party. Um, they were talking about a, a republic, you know, a nation of laws that is basically ruled by its people, where the people vote for the candidates who will execute what they want done. But um, fascinating stuff, Johan. I'm going to have to do some research on that one. Thanks a lot for the call. Israel in Chandler, Arizona. Hey, Israel, what's up? Good morning, uh, Tom. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm out of topic for today. Tried to call on Friday, but... I have uh, an idea about the Mississippi abortion case. I think there are four justices on the court that are not only willing to vote to overturn Roe, but they're willing to vote to uh, make abortion unconstitutional based on the taking of human life without due process. And, I, I, and those four, all they need to do is convince one other conservative, which I think is Neil Gorsuch, who's sort of a libertarian. I don't think Roberts would go because he knows that kind of decision will destroy his court in history. He would not tell right. it isn't there already. Yeah, I agree with you. And, uh, right. And the possible option that, or the possible outcome that could come from that is for that vote for making it unconstitutional. Roberts and Gorsuch who say, let's just overturn Roe and return it to the states. And the three liberals who say, no, we maintain the status of Roe and Casey. And in that case, the court would be, uh, what do you call it, um, a non-decision, no majority decision. It would return to the status quo of the appellate court, which was ruling that Roe and Casey still stand. And I think that's a real possibility with the four justices. So let me get this straight. I, I was following your logic, Israel, completely when you said that there are four justices who would argue that that any kind of abortion in the United States is is essentially murder and therefore a violation of you know the right to life um, and exactly. you know and due process and and the fetuses aren't getting due process I get that and and I realize that there's a, you know there's there's a substantial minority of Americans who feel that way as well um, but what I don't get is how you got from that to saying that therefore the Supreme Court in June is not going to rule, is not going to strike down Roe v. Wade? Well, because I don't think that the four of them, and that would be Alito, Coney Barrett, Kavanaugh, and Thomas, I don't think the four of them could, could convince either uh, Gorsuch or Roberts to join them. Roberts would try to join oh, them. Oh, no, that, say, but, okay, but that's, that's, that's like with Citizens United. That's like taking the argument a step farther. I don't think they're going to take the argument a step farther. I think they're simply going to say, you know, uh, Roe v. Wade set up what we consider to be arbitrary, uh, and, and Casey uh, set up what we consider to be arbitrary 
uh, you know, the three, three trimester things. And uh, we're going to set that aside. We're going to leave the rest of the ruling in place and we're going to leave it up to the individual states. That's I, that, that yeah. I think is going to be the, you know, the Solomonic split the baby down the middle thing. Yeah, I, yeah, I, and that's I, what John Roberts was pitching. Argument. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I just don't think that those four justices, I think they're already thinking we're powerful enough. This is the moment in history. We can just say abortion is unconstitutional because it's the taking of human life. And they may want to stand their ground. I'm saying it's. I don't think they will. I, th I think they see this as the first so? step toward that. If they can, oh, if they okay. can take down Roe with this and allow states to create individual, you know, whatever they want in the states, you're going to have some states. I mean, you've got several Republican-controlled states that have already introduced legislation. Texas, for sure. example, um, that, yeah. that bans essentially all abortion, including rape and incest and everything else. And then that goes to the Supreme Court again. And at that point, maybe we have that discussion. But I, I, I don't think it's going to get quite that bad, quite this fast. But I do think it's going to get really bad really fast. Israel, thank you for the call. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Tom in North Hollywood. Tom, we have less than a minute left. You got a quick one here? All right, Tom. Uh, first off, we the people are the government. We must never forget that. Amen. Uh, second, I wanted to talk about just nurture versus nature with, uh, with women. Women had a chance to vote in the first woman president in our country and did not do so. And well, they did buy three million votes. It's just that they didn't pull off the, this loophole that we call the Electoral College. But it, didn't the percentage of women vote for Trump over Hillary? White women. Well, correct. Yeah, I think so it was 53% of white women and 57% of, or maybe 63% of white men, something like that. What, yeah. I, what I'm thinking is I'd want to say um, in the chicken coop, uh, the hens always suck the hell out of the other hens. And I want to know if this is more nature or nurture with women. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, my guess is, Tom, that that's because they're in a coop. People behave differently, basically, and so do chickens, I'm guessing, when they're in jail. Thanks so much for being with us today. In other words, it's an unnatural situation. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow, same bat time, same bat channel. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us, and that includes you. So please, get out there, get active. Hook up with one of these great organizations or the Democratic Party itself and participate. Tag your it, by the way. We'll see you tomorrow. been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.